is expecting you. Yes, welcome to another episode of Thoughts from Aunt Wu. Today we will be discussing Book Three, Episode Six, The Avatar and the Fire Lord. One of the mo- one of the most interesting, dare say it, maybe one of the most important episodes of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Today I am joined by my colleague Corey. Hello. And we have a whole lot to discuss, so let's just dive right in with our initial thoughts, Corey. Go ahead. I love this episode, and I feel like I open a lot saying that, but I love this show. But yeah, I agree with you. This is one of the most important episodes. One of my, easily one of my favorites of book three. Um, I, from start to finish, the parallels between what, you know, what's going on with Zuko and what's going on with Aang and the way they discover the past, like epitomizes everything right about this show. Um, the big twist at the end was a really big twist, like a great twist. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time Iroh speaks since yes. he gets in prison? So that was extremely powerful and timed completely right. Um, and the climax with the volcano is really one of the most gorgeous things ever shot. It's the, one of the best things filmed in Avatar and, you know... An avatar that's saying something. Um, I do not have enough more positive things to say about this episode, but uh, we'll, we'll dive right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I think there's one thing I have to quibble about that we'll talk about towards the end. Um, but yeah, as I said kind of in my intro, this, this is for me probably the most important episode of this entire series. I, I think that this episode more than any other really just could not change in any way and still have this series work the way that it does. Um, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting parallel. The last, the first time that uh, Aang got to talk to Roku during the last uh, solstice in uh, in the spirit, Avatar Roku in the spirit world, where we, it was kind of the first time we had said, that's like, wow, this is a like really series defining episode because it lays out Aang's quest and lays out everything that's going to happen. But for that episode, that was entirely about Aang, even though, yeah, there was stuff about Zuko with the uh, running of the blockade and him sort of returning to Fire Nation waters, but for in reality, that episode was about Aang in, in every way. This episode is is the sort of epitome of the dual story of, of Aang and Zuko and, and seeing their parallels and even seeing at the end, um, we'll get to this, but I just want to highlight this now, like, the fact that Iroh specifically says in his speech, like, um, Born in, in, in Yuzuko is the power to restore balance to the world, which is the Avatar's duty and, and kind of both continuing Roku's legacy, redeeming Luke, Roku's legacy, as well as, um, you know, tying these two people together who are very soon to actually join, join forces. And, and I think that that's, you know, this episode just encapsulates just so much of, uh, of what this show is. And the first thing I want to I sort of bring up, though, is the fact that I feel like in a lot of other shows, this episode, type of episode, the the f- extreme flashback heavy sort of exposition dump type episode is very rarely pulled off with this level of execution. you agree with that? That this is kind of not the formula for success for a lot of shows? Yes, um, absolutely. But it's when it's done wrong, it, it's done really wrong. There's like, it's like show, not tell. They did both in this episode in a way that makes perfect sense. Like Azula's speech and history lesson 
in the beginning just made the world feel more grand. It's like what elite students in the Fire Nation learn about Sozin, why the comet was named like that, the Sosin the patient, all that. So the way Azula did her own little expedition dump versus how you actually see it physically in the past, they did both and it, it they complemented each other so well. So the way the show executed it made the grand universe of Avatar just feel deeper and there's like a history behind it. You're learning the history along with the characters and the way Zuko hears the actual textbook history lesson from Azula and then reads it from Sosin himself. And then Iroh at the end was just a great way to wrap well, up the episode. That also, I, I want to jump right into, into something you brought up because I think this is another one of those little touches that works really well in this episode that um, in Azula's um, initial speech, nothing she says is wrong. Sure, there's sort of extreme perspective in it and then the you know she she has a reverence for a guy who we can kind of look at as as outside observers or even as you know sort of quote-unquote on the side of of ang or on the side of the world as, as negative but from a factual perspective she's completely right he was secretly planning the war for a long time he waited for the comment he died ancient in his sleep and i think it's sort of it allows the, the the twist at the end to hit with so much more power, I think, because I feel like there's a there's a there's an element of this where, you know, obviously there was some like real secret history about how Sozin died in some crazy way and, you know, Azul is totally wrong and we don't know anything. But it's like it actually I think it even works better with the fact that you can view Sozin's life through a ton of different lenses. You can look at it through the lens of Azula, someone entirely, um, you know, loyal to the Fire Nation, and see him as this transformative, amazing leader who revolutionized the Fire Nation and did all this great stuff. You can look at it through the lens of, of Zuko trying to understand his own identity as, you know, a, a sort of troubled, um, a troubled man trying to figure out his place in the world. You can look at it through the lens of sort of Toph at the end, like, wow, he was just born bad. It was like he's just this evil person who, who, you know, did probably more to ruin the world than any other person in, you know, sort of modern history, you know, whatever you want to call modern history in, in Avatar Universe. And I think that that's a really great thing that they were able to do, um, especially for an episode like this that's all about perspective and is all about who's, you know, the, who is the narrator of your story and are you the narrator of your own story? And I think that that's a, like a very nice little touch there. Um, just, just before that, I, I think that there's just two things at the very start of this episode, which, um, and just kind of even before that, I think it's, it's telling how quickly this episode, we just get into the, into the quote unquote meat of it, that it's sort of, the episode opens, and you need to go to the. You need to go back to my island. I like that it's the solstice again, so it ties it thematically to the to both the fact that um, Ang's connection to to Roku is is, is significantly stronger with um, you know on the solstice, which fits with what we've seen before, as well as a little reminder that like Ang, you got like three months left before the comet's coming. Like that's. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those little subtle bits of storytelling and, like, just giving us a l brief reminder of where we are in time that I think is really important. Um, right. And also, one, I if you want to talk about Azula perfection, the make sure he gets your good sideline is, that is peak Azula right there. I mean, you want to talk about, like, it fits as, like, 
siblings cutting each other, but also Azula being like knowing exactly how to get under Zuko's skin, but is also like really deeply mean. Like it's another thing that you can read in a lot of different ways, and I I like that. I like that from Azula. Yeah, I love Azula. <laughs> she's she's she represents to me every like reason I love Iroh, but on the complete reverse, like if you look at like, the D&D alignment chart, I love Iroh on the complete opposite side, and I love Azula on the complete opposite side, mm-hmm. for like different reasons. Alright, so the, the first thing I want to ask you, and it's kind of, this is the kind of thing that, that definitely gets into the territory of, are we reading way too much into this, but that's the whole point of this show, so that's what we're going to do. So, Aang kind of enters the spirit world, and is back in, he's bald again, and he's back in his airbender garb. Do you think that there's some significance to that? The fact that Aang clearly still views himself as an airbender when he's sort of imagining himself as this thing going on inside his head. Absolutely. I think, like, while in the spirit world, that's him at his purest form and what he is deep down and to his core. And I think what you just said nails it on the head. I think what's on the outside is not reflective of what is, like, Aang's purest version of himself because mm-hmm. I, I i think that there's an, a great parallel of that because you have zuko who is you know later on in the episode when, when he goes into the into the catacombs and you kind of see that like zuko has removed the the garb of of being the prince and he's back to you know essentially looking like the outcast that he was throughout book two and i almost kind of feel like there's this like this is who the two of them are in their natural state that zuko is still almost pretending to be the prince pretending pretending to be the 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 perfect son with the with with the with his honor back yet he doesn't actually feel like that and for this episode that's that's supposed to kind of crash really begin to crash that down and force zuko to confront it i think it's sort of there's something to the fact that you know for zuko when he's in a moment of like doesn't have to look like anything because he's not around anybody he is choosing to look you know sort of closer to his own identity that's removed from the um removed from the princely and the fire nation sort of tradition right yeah i agree and i i I made a a question in my notes like why did zuko have to sneak into the catacombs i think because for this i think it's this the situation of one he doesn't want to be disturbed and my guess is he doesn't want like the fire sages like telling him the story, and he think uh-huh. like if he was to like go down in there and they see that him he, he and he was reading, they would be like, oh, what would you like to know about Fire Lord Sozin, Prince Zuko? And then they would t- you know tell him the story, and he's supposed he's looking for the secret history and kind of well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I, the, the way I saw it or viewed it was that he was forbidden from being down there, and he would have gotten in trouble if he was caught. Um, and hearing it from Sosin's side, there wasn't anything like that the Fire Lord wouldn't want Zuko to learn in there, per se. Maybe, maybe the friend, oh, well, maybe the, the friendship between Roku and well, Sosin. I actually, I actually think that that's a really important touch of the episode, because I think the thing that make the, the point of, remember, on some level, the point of all of this is that, um... Iroh is wants Zuko to learn about Roku. That's what he wants from this um, this exercise. And I think that on some level, the the point of this is 
just as you said, it's not like anything in that history was salacious or would have reflected poorly on Sozin or even was something Sozin would have like kept from anybody. I actually think that that's like completely not true. I think uh, Zuko had complete access to this information whenever he wanted. But the whole point was because of the way that Iroh sort of set Zuko up, it made him, you know, prepared him for this being a monumental bit of, um, you know, uh, revelation. And remember, like, Zuko, when he goes in to, to yell at Iroh, he specifically says, um, it should be renamed the secret history that most people already know. Essentially saying, like, oh, we, you know, it, it, this isn't anything particularly, like, crazy. There's nothing in there that was, like, earth-shattering. The earth-shattering thing is the fact that the great-grandfather in question was not Sozin, it was Roku. So I, I don't, I actually think that it's important for this kind of thing to not actually be a, a, a salacious detail, to not be something that was hidden, that, that Zuko could have, in theory, gotten access to this information whenever he wanted. But because Iroh had sort of set him up and said, you have to find the secret history. They're in the, you know, they're in these catacombs, you know, he doesn't specifically say it, but it kind of hints, don't ask the fire sages, you have to like get in there and learn it for yourself, is almost priming Zuko for a revelation, which will then force him when he doesn't get the revelation he's expecting to go and talk to Iroh for the ultimate gut punch. Because imagine if like Zuko goes down and like, talks to the fire sages and they tell him the history and he's like oh okay i guess i needed to learn that like it's important to be um you know ruthless and it's important for me to to honor the the fire nation and the war was 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 birth for a good reason like that if that was the point like on some level the point of this history that he sees is that is completely totally pro fire nation but because iroh primed him to expect something more um you know, more crazy, he's forced to then go to Iroh and be like, what, why did you even have me learn this? There was nothing for me to learn here. I knew all this already. Right. So I, so I almost think that that's like, it, 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 Zuko is, ex, is expecting that like really big reveal and he doesn't get it, but then he does get it in the end because, well, he was just looking in the wrong place. And it's another thing about like perspective, like who, whose story is this? Is this, Hosen story or is this Roku story? Right. Um, I think uh, I think you want to talk. Uh, that's not so much. So right off the bat, then I I really like you see Sozin and, and Roku together, and they just have so much natural chemistry. Like you want to talk about like show don't tell. Like we can feel the fact that these two people have been friends for you know, probably their entire lives. And in like 45 seconds of screen time, we essentially get to see it with this like little fight and just it feels so natural of, you know, you know, Sozin, you know, holding him, letting him fall and, and kind of seeing, you know, using that uh, brand or that, that tree root to his advantage. And even afterwards when they're, uh, you know, when, when Roku fails to, to talk to the girl and Sozin just, like, you know, dropping the grass on his face. Like, there's something so, like, it's so natural. And I think that that's, I don't think that's particularly easy to do, to, like, sell a friendship in a flashback and it just to fit so, feel so, like, easy, calm, and natural. It was in one minute, as you said, pretty much. There was, like, the sparring session and that 
the the very next scene and it's all done via facial expressions body language dialogue and yeah you you get the feeling they've known each other pretty much forever and after best friends and i loved when he was revealed to be avatar roku and i, I as i said it, it draws a lot of parallels to ang maybe not directly but i feel like roku had the same thoughts going through his head that ang had when he was first dropped the, the ball on that he was the avatar sure Aang took it worse because he was a lot younger mm-hmm. but I, well before I before that of... there's one thing I wanted to say that that I actually think is another another key part of this is that I think it's a really uh, it's really nice that at the very start you have Roku like very much smiling feels very positive about this thing that he's sharing with Aang you know you know sharing his past you can you can feel that he's nostalgic for this time and and, and remembering it while then the the monologue, even though you know Zuko isn't actually hearing it, it's, you know it's written word, but you can kind of still get the sense from the tone that Sozin is much more, you know, it, it it's it's a much more negative feeling. It's not like happy remembrances of your friends. It's a wow, life was so much simpler, but you know I don't really have fond memories of this time because of the things that you know the toll that my life has taken, and I think that that's a Especially since the end of this is supposed to be, you know, Aang is supposed to come out of this with a feel, you know, a feeling of hope, a feeling that, you know, friendship is important, friendship is powerful. It it's a it's a nice way to set that up. That even from right from the start, it's not like Roku is like, you know, yes, my childhood was happy, but you know, let's can't wait to see what happens next when everything went to you know went terrible. Instead, it's actually like. This, yeah, my life was great. This was, you know, I had this, you know, I had a really great friend and, you know, things were really good. And I think that's a really nice touch right there about how, um, like, how that, how that happens. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there was really, you're right, most of his life, Roku had, and again, even when we jump ahead I mean, into training, seeing how easy he did the training in comparison to, to Aang just says everything you need well, to see anyway. I'll quibble with that, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, so a question that I want to I want to sort of talk about, and, and we're not, we do not know for sure if the Avatar, um, if the, the birth of the Avatar is actually matters. Like we do not know if it's like literally the Avatar dies and then a baby is born and that baby is the Avatar. Like there pro- like there could theoretically be a gap here that we and we just don't we do not have any answer as to how that actually happens. I think that's heavily implied. But if the argument is that essentially the av- like either the, like immediately or very quickly after the Avatar dies, the next Avatar is born, that brings up an interesting question about the fact that these two share a birthday. Right. Because does that, one, does that mean that Sozin, you know, do you think that Sozin has some degree of, you know, almost jealousy that if he was the Avatar, which he very well could have been, like, it's not like, you know, he was in the right nation and theoretically has the right birthday. Like, it's almost like... It's as if, like, things, they went out of their way to not make Sozin the Avatar is sort of, there's something kind of fascinating there because Sozin, who clearly has big plans for the world, and on top of that, it does kind of ask, like, some interesting predestination 
was this meant to be kind of things, which I don't fully agree with. I, you know, I just want to, I'll preface that there because I, I think it's more interesting if that's not true. But, you know, on some level, you can kind of read it like that, which is interesting. I, I completely think that's the case. I, I not maybe I don't I didn't get the feeling that he was outright jealous. Like the news was dropped and then Sozin stood there and was like, "It should be me." I, I that it, it was very Sozin was the entire episode was very interesting to me because when I know I'm jumping here, but when the wedding came and he revealed like we have so much riches, we have so much you know like happiness. I want to spread it to other people. That's where I was, like, legitimately curious. Do you mean it, or are you just power-hungry? And if he was just power-hungry to expand his borders for his own sake of power, which I got the strong feeling towards the end of the episode, then I would agree with it even more, that if he was the Avatar, he would be the ultimate being. He'd be the prince and the Avatar. He'd be, like, unlimited power. But that's why I was questioning the sincerity of what he said to Roku during that part. And... By the end of the episode, if I, if you were to ask me what my final thoughts are, I think the answer is that, that he legitimately was power hungry and power, well, you know, like got drowned in like the 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 need to control as much as he can. So I think yes, I think he was definitely jealous and thought the av- being the avatar. Like, even when he came back, his first line the Roku after training was. Normally, my subjects bow to me, but he was like, but except for you. But then by the, the the next time he came back, when he said, I don't want to hear about this anymore, but he took the borders anyway, he was like, you can't talk to me like this. I'm your... I your, your... don't entirely agree with that, though. I, I think... I think Sozin started with relatively noble intention. Or... Uh, that's, that's a very loaded political statement. I think that Sozin believed that he had noble intentions. I think that Sozin, on some level, um, like truly thought that the Fire Nation was far more advanced and and a better place to live than, you know, especially the Earth Kingdom, and that conquest was his almost his duty. And yes, this gets at some very, you know dangerous white man's burden e you know imperialism in Europe which is bad which obviously they're not portraying this as good because you know so is in you know clearly the fire nation is bad and i think for me i think it shows that one the when you can become single minded in your sort of pursuit of something and in a minute, I'll talk about, we'll go on a bit of an aside about something else because I just had a thought. But one, there's that. But two, and, and we'll get to this throughout, but I really think that it shows the complete failure of Roku. I think that Roku could have worked with Sozin in such a way to share his view of the world, or not share his view, but maybe work with Sozin for a more constructive way to actually like open up more trade and actually use some of the resources of the Fire Nation to, to better other parts of the world, but by pulling back completely and having a very absolutist attitude kind of almost pushed Sozin into, all right, well, 
not that, and then was sort of left alone to his own devices and left alone to stew on something. But as a quick aside, because I just, just had this thought for a second. And yes, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones for a moment because it's my show and I want to talk about it. And if you haven't seen the finale of Game of Thrones, I don't know, don't watch it. Do you think that there's a similar argument being made here to the argument Tyrion makes about Daenerys? Um, because I just found myself slipping into Sozin believed that it was his almost duty to make the world a better place and was willing to do anything, including slaughtering every member of the Air Nation to achieve it. That's the argument that Tyrion makes about Daenerys. Do you think this is the same thematic argument? So that Sozin is like the Mad King in a way. Or well, that Sozin is, like... is Daenerys. That Sozin is Sozin shows you what Daenerys would what would have happened to Daenerys if, rather than killing her, John had said, "Don't do this," and left. That John is Roku. Daenerys is and um. Daenerys is Sozin, or, yeah. Daenerys, if, if John handled Daenerys the way Roku handled Sosin, Daenerys would have turned on John and said, if you don't bend the knee, I'm going to kill you and everyone in the north. In theory, is what happened. So, Roku... This is what the I only thing is, Roku... Is, the only issue is Roku is significantly more powerful than Sozin. So here's, and here's, here's, here's he's the one with the dragons. As a that's, so, yeah, that's the point. So in the 25 years between Roku putting his foot down and, you know, fighting with Sozin, it's implied that all the, the, the expansions the Fire Nation made were, were gone. And at the moment, Sozin was just biding his time for the right moment, right? So after... After Roku put his foot down, all the imperial imperialism that the Fire Nation was doing was ceased, right? Mm-hmm. Well, was- we don't. I want to get to that. I'm not. I'm for the purposes of this discussion. I'm going to say yes, but actually no. But for this discussion, sure. So then, you, that's a very big aside. If John had the dragon, Daenerys did not, and John said, "Not only am I not bending the knee to you, but you cannot. No, there'll be no." attack on king's landing well no let's i mean i don't know it gets because complicated that's the, issue because yeah. roku, the only reason sosin listened is because roku outclassed them yeah and if, so that's there's no but remember remember sosin was already on the throne it's not like you know daenerys has to actually be like does yeah, have to have daenerys, power daenerys is not, but that's the thing if daenerys daenerys's big thing was at almost similar to sosin where she wanted the seven but kingdom. what I, but what I, what i'm essentially asking is and I'm not in any way here to like defend or even re-litigate the finale of Game of Thrones. But I have I pushed back in many ways with the arguments that Tyrion and other people within the when Westeros made about Daenerys that said, like, you're holding her to a ridiculous standard, and you're essentially like the f- up until she burned King's Landing, nothing she had done would have led you to believe that that's what she was capable of. 
do you think that on this is the same argument that's essentially saying anyone who has some power strives for more power and is doing it because they believe that it is their destiny to make the world a better place will eventually become a genocidal monster? Do you think this is the same yeah. argument? Yes. Hmm. That's because I, I, I don't I don't know if I agree with that as an argument, and that's I I want to go back in time to uh, and take a few steps back, and what you said about how Roku was a failure in a way. Uh, no, no, I want to let me let, let's get to that in a bit because I that's that's going to be a long discussion. I want to I don't this is a tangent. I don't want to spend too much time on. I'm just I just realized I'm just slipping into that argument. I I think Sosin in the end was power hungry and I, I actually really like your comparison to like the white man's burden I and imperialism and I yeah. that comparison I completely agree with if you want to compare it it's like the way America viewed you know the Caribbean islands the South America it's, Mexico, it's England it's England the way England viewed or Eng- or the England, world yeah, the world so I that that yeah. comparison is yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So let's you know let's wrap let's wrap up this Game of Thrones discussion because it's just a little kind of silly. Um. All right. So the next the next thing I want to I want to get into because yeah we'll talk about the that Roku thing in a minute because it's important but I just want to wrap up together Roku's training the little training montage we get because it's you know there's there's some really important stuff in there which you know we have to certainly have to talk about I I mean I we cannot talk about this episode without talking about. The fact that Roku was friends with with Monkeyazzo, and like that line of friendships being strong enough, they can even transcend lifetimes. I mean, you want to talk about an A an ethos for the show, and B, how can you not get a little emotional on that one? Yeah, that was real. I'm actually a little upset. Not really. It's nothing. I even come close to being upset. But like, I wish it hit. I wish Aang was more emotional about that. If that makes any sense to you, I wish it was like more of like a like a happiness stab to the heart, you know, like maybe like a tear going down his side, right? Yeah, that is fair. But I also he, think, but I, like, but then yeah. again, I also think it fits Ang to be the like Ang is like is a at his core like still kind of the a little bit goofy and still kind of like thinks of it as a way of ex- you know is excited about the fact that you're friends with he'd be friends with. With yeah, Piazza. but you know, remember how he was when Aang realized that he was dead. I but that's realizing he was dead and seeing his corpse. That's a little. Yes, it is different. But you're not wrong. I, I'm just. I'm. You're right. There probably and, could and have been more emotional. By the way, it's not a negative at all. I, I just was like, yeah, maybe you know, such, yeah. he's such a powerful person of his childhood. Yeah, would have been nice to see um, like, be very. One thing I want to push back on, because you said, uh, you said like, oh, you know, it, it seems like Roku, it was, like, very easy for him to do the elements. I don't know if we know that. I mean, like, it does clearly take him, like, 12 years. It I, takes I, Aang I don't mean it like that. nine I mean months. It like, how easy it was for him to travel the world. Okay, that's fair. Time. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, it, like, that's what I, I that's exactly yeah. what I mean. And I guess that'll kind of bring us into, into that conversation, because I think that this episode does a really great job of showing us that, that... And, and as isn't even explicit that it doesn't says it but it really shows us the fact that the difference in the world between the world Aang grew up in and the world that Roku grew up in the fact that you know and we'll even extend it because even then the the world that Korra grew up in where you have Roku who's kind of the prototypical avatar where he finds out at the the moment he's supposed to at his 16th birthday he then travels the world 
you know, leaving behind his home and, and spends, you know, whatever, 12 years mastering the elements, you know, you figure essentially spending like four years on on each element, you know, a pretty, you know, sizable amount of time and can kind of make friends, learn cultures and then come back and then kind of return to what his former life was on some level. You have Aang who learns much younger than he's supposed to at age 12 and then essentially because of the being frozen in ice has to master all of the other elements in, you know, almost a year, uh, I mean, a little less than that, and, you know, the world Aang is in, where it's, like, his ability, you know, you could almost tell that, like, Roku was essentially sent to the, North, you know, the, the Southern Air Temple, and it's like, all right, you're going to train under, here's your airbending master, and then was probably sent to the Water Tribe, and was like, all right, here's your waterbending master, and, like, it was very, in that case, I agree with you, it was very easy in terms of, like, he didn't have to struggle for it, he was just, like, he's the Avatar, that's what you do. And then, yeah, you know, and then you have Aang who sort of had to, you know, sort of stumble into this this person to begin to teach him waterbending in Katara. And then, yeah, finds the sort of traditional master in the north, but only can learn with him for, a, you know, a couple of weeks. And then has to continue to learn from Katara. Has to seek out a, an earthbending teacher who, you know, is just some kid who, you know, is blind and all that. And then kind of is has no chance of finding a firebending teacher, but, you know, either A, stumbles into one in the deserter, or eventually we have Zuko. And, I, you know, there's that. And then, of course, you compare it to Korra as the come full circle, who was literally kept in a compound, and, and masters were brought to her to, to train her sort of extremely directly. And you can see, I think, how much that shapes their lives and how, you know, it... it it gave each of them a certain perspective and a certain sort of feeling of how to do things. But you were about to say something. I was going to say, does this make it feel like Aang is like more of like a bending prodigy? Like, like how he learns at such a young age so relatively quickly compared to like Roku? Do you think like he's like a, a like one of the best? Benders? I mean, I think it's. I mean, I in terms of raw bending ability, from my perspective, Korra is clearly the best. Bend, raw bender. She can literally bend the element, like three of the elements, at like two, three, you know, four or five years old. So right. no, I. But in in the end game, Roku, I think made it. No, I think, it, I think in the end they all make it because in the end they all have the Avatar state, which essentially is a great balancing force. Although I would quibble and I'd say raw bending Kyoshi is the strongest we've ever seen. I, I, I just we've seen so much more of Roku and outside of the Avatar state, he's phenomenal. He for sure. Granted, all of them are in, in in terms of in the Avatar state. But in terms of one moment of bending, Kiyoshi rips a continent apart. Right. I uh, all right. Maybe, yeah. All like right. the, we functionally we never see Roku do anything on that level. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really overanalyzing how great that volcano scene was. The, always... Look, the volcano scene is great visually, but in terms of raw bending ability, we've seen Aang sort of go up against a volcano. It was less of an issue, but like we've seen him kind of in that type of position. You know, Kyoshi literally cuts part of a continent off and creates an island. I mean, that's that is some a little extra. Um. But I also think you're right that it's it. We don't actually know. We don't actually get to see Roku like in his prime. Like we see one moment of him kind of in his prime going after Sozin, and he's not clearly not going like full tilt. So it is hard to say. Um, 
So I want to kind of get on this because we're well. I don't know. Let's let's kind of keep keep going here. Um, actually, no. We're gonna. All right. Sorry, I'm like getting confused as to where I am. So we have uh, we have Roku Roku's wedding, and for one thing, I just have to I have to reference one of my favorite Avatar memes of uh, being the Avatar doesn't hurt your chances with the ladies either, which you know. It's true and all it's true for all three of the avatars we see. Um, I had to get that one in there. Um, but I think that the the Wait, moment, one sec, one sec. yeah, well, I don't want to pass it. Um, the fart joke. Oh, the worst joke in Avatar history. No, because there are some dumb jokes. No, because in two weeks there's some really dumb jokes in Nightmares and Daydreams. It was a fart poop joke in the middle of like one of the most important episodes. I see. Like, if I want, if I wanted to show a friend who's never seen Avatar the show, I would love to show them this episode. And then that joke came up. I mean, you are right that that is that is rough. It was a nice callback that like you had, you know, uh, Sokka saying. As a matter of fact, they do not, which we actually saw back in in the spirit world. I agree. It was unnecessary. It was a little weird. Um. Yeah. All right, go on. All right, we have the wedding, um, and I think that like right here we we get to see see something, and and this is where probably the biggest argument we're gonna have because I'm gonna say some maybe not so kind things about one of your favorite characters. I think that we see that Roku is very much not prepared. For what being the avatar actually is and is very bad at it and i think that he's handling diplomacy in a very fire nation way and i like fire and him doing what he did he's using aggression and like firmness to be like no you're just not doing this period and that's a very well, fire nation thing even before that though i think that there's something there's something interesting, and I understand, like, obviously it's at a wedding, so there's a certain, like, it, this isn't entirely true, but it's a very important thing that Sozin is the one who brings up sort of our role in the world of geopolitics. And Roku's like, it's my wedding, have a drink, dance, relax. Like, there's, there's no, like, you. it almost feels like Roku is like, what are we worried? Why do we need to worry about, you know, the world? Like, I'm going to get married. I want to live my life. When fundamentally, it is actually that is the Avatar's job. The Avatar's job is to, to deal with that kind of thing. I think there was nothing directly for him to deal with. Well, that, like, to our knowledge. But I think was- that right there is, is the point is that Roku, for Roku being the Avatar, what that meant was mastering the elements. That's all it being the Avatar really meant to him. He was not put in a position at all in his early life to deal with the sort of geopolitical responsibilities that come with the Avatar. If you wanted to really drive that fact home more in the episode, you could have had, um, whether it's through Sosin's eyes or even Roku's eyes, most, mostly I think Sosin would have made the most sense, where like, Sosin sees like homeless people in the, in the Earth Kingdom because of some corruption going on, or whatever, and then him maybe coming to that conclusion. But you don't see it. You don't see issues. Well, in the other I think nation. that you do see it in this one case. After their conversation, we'll come back to the conversation in a minute. But 
the fact that Roku doesn't know that Sozin has literally taken territory in the Earth Kingdom, and it's like he finds out and they've already conquered it, is... I think really indicative of the fact that Roku was not particularly engaged with the world. Well, who knows where Roku was? He could have been, for all we know, on the opposite side of the world. For all we don't know where he well, was when but, happening. All right, that's but that. But what I'm saying is that's that's the point. The fact that we don't know where he was, we can probably guess he was on his island. The fact that it's known yeah. as Roku's island, but more more so than that, even if he wasn't, even if he was on the other side of the world. You have this, you know, essentially this geopolitical crisis happening and no one was able to contact the Avatar? Well, again, the world's not connected like it is today. Like, if he was on the opposite side of the world, then let's, let's compare it to Star Wars now where, like, let's say Roku is the only Jedi in the entire world or universe, if you want to go into Star Wars terms, and they're on the Outer Rim but not in like the inner core and something happens in your core. It's, well, my, it, it, but know. that, but that right there is my point. I, you're right. That's, that's true. And I'm not like, I'm not here to say like, Oh, Roku is terrible. What I'm saying though, is that clearly Roku was not keenly aware of the, of the geopolitical realities of the world, because even if he was, I don't know, in the Southern air temple or, or the, or the Southern water tribe really far away, cut off from the rest of the world the fact that he was there in and of itself for clearly a long time shows that he's not taking that global view of the world he's not he doesn't think i i better make sure that people know how to get in contact with me because well god forbid i'm needed i can and he, like the guy's got a dragon like he can travel very fast if he needs to well what if Sosin, being the patient one, waited for Roku, who he knew would not approve of what he did, to be somewhere on the other side of the world to deal with another issue in order to launch his attack. And then he did it all by the time he made it back. And that, you know, that, so I think that's what happened. I mean, I think the fact that it's A, we specifically see I saw the colonies. And colonies imply, and maybe we're reading too much into the definition of words, but colonies imply settlers and we know from you know this series that like there are fire nation colonials who have developed a slightly different culture than mainlanders or homelanders so that implies that there were settlers in these places it almost makes it feel like it's not i saw the invasion force it's i saw the colonies as though there's been some time has elapsed this is like happened. Like there was an invasion, there was a conquest, then there were people who moved in and, and essentially made it their home. I think that implies a a level of disengagedness. And again, you can argue, well, the world was you know, sort of larger back then because communication wasn't quite as strong. And I totally agree with all that. But I do think that there is some level of Roku, the fact that it takes as long as it does for Roku to intervene, and then immediately, then he immediately jumps to eleven and completely intervenes and says, "So is it? It's over. If you do this again, I will kill you." Shows to me that Roku was 
I don't think Roku appreciated quite how hard being the Avatar was. I think that his early Avatar journey was relatively easy and therefore didn't appreciate that he needed to be much more like the fact that Sozin said, I want to like conquer territory. He shouldn't. How, how did he ever turn his back on Sozin after that? He better. He should have been paying attention and watching. Oh, this is clearly the number one threat. I better be keenly aware he, of the things Sozin does. Because to all we know, and I think that's the case, Sozin has done nothing since he was confronted. There was no issues for 25 years after that. I, I don't know. Because I, I, if there was, there's no way Roku would not have gotten involved. And his island is obviously within I. No, range. no, I'm, I'm not saying in those 25 years. I'm saying in between the wedding and the um, and the and the, their first fight. We, we don't have enough information to dictate what happened there. It could have been you're right, it could have been I'm right, or it could have been a combination of both. But I don't think we have enough information there. But and, then you know. From there, a question that I want to pose. Do you think that Roku made an error retreating from his friendship and essentially saying, you have proven that you're not my friend anymore, and then they didn't see each other for 25 years? I think, again, it's a very Fire Nation thing. Stubborn people. I, I, well, it's, you say stubborn people. That's a stubborn is an earth generalization. Changer. I know it's a generalization, but I, I think Roku represents, and I think this is done on purpose too with the writers, a very Fire Nation avatar with all those elements that are right in front. So Single-minded and strong-willed. Yes, and I stubborn and stubborn. Hmm. I don't know. I, I push back on the stubbornness though. Sort of. I look at, like, to an extent, I know Zuko changes, but Zuko, for most of the series, is stubborn. Most of it. Yeah, but uh, I, I think it's, I don't know, if, I, I wouldn't use the word stubborn. I think it's more, you know, it, it, it has to do with more being the strong-willed and, and having a right. single, coming up with that single idea and just going for it. Which is stubborn. Mm, I, I think stubborn is more of... Stubborn is more about you being – here's the difference. Someone who is stubborn is standing still and cannot be moved. Someone, the Fire Nation is someone who is always moving forward. They're similar and it's a, it is a little semantics, but I do think that there's like a difference. And, I, and the, the only reason I'm pushing back here is because what do you think was Roku's single-minded objective? What's his ideal? Ro I think Roku is a product of his era where he lived in an ideal world. As you saw, the, the, the easy travel between nations. Yeah, every nation had its flaws. And he was okay with that. There's balance. And he lived in an era of balance. So his mission statement was just to preserve the status quo. Like, if you look at, like, old presidents and, like, the Gilded Age and before, they just... We're there, figureheads, just don't, nothing changes, and I'll make sure nothing changes. Keep the status quo going. I think that's what he wanted. While Sosin was more of a revolutionary imperialist that wanted the world to mirror the Fire Nation and, it's, and to his, an ideal sense, its successes, um, in addition to him being a little power hungry. I, I think that's the dichotomy right there.
All right. I, I, I'm a little bit more, a little harder on Roku. I, I think Roku really made some mistakes because I, I would argue that if Roku had instead of, you know, fighting Sozin and then literally not speaking to him for 25 years, if he had instead maybe tried to, you know, sort of make an argument that was like, look, this is why what you're doing is wrong and this is how, this is the the path that you're leading yourself down. And, you know, eventually, you know, where does that path end? And that path ends with you genociding people. There maybe things could have been different. I'm not saying that they would have, you know, there's an argument to be made that Sozin is just, Sozin is evil and that this was, this is where it was always going. But I also think that there's a, that there's a world because let me ask you this question. Let's say for argument's sake that Aang was in Roku's position. The mm-hmm. Aang who values friendship above basically everything else and who has a, essentially that. In my opinion, there's no chance that Aang doesn't speak to Sozin for 25 years. 100% right. And I think and I that that, maybe that doesn't work out. Maybe, you know, eventually either it, it, it just comes to a head. But I think that that, I think that that does show, and maybe you're right, that it's there is a certain level of dogmatic, um, absolute right and absolute wrong with Roku. That, that That's a problem here. But I, I do think that there is some level of, I think Roku maybe messed up. And I think that one thing we that is is sort of made clear and we can debate this on sort of a philosophical sense all we want but there is an argument that's made throughout this series that essentially says that the avatar has to be involved heavily involved in the world because without them things really don't go well and again i don't want to debate whether that's actually a particularly good ideology like in real life maybe you know Maybe it isn't. I actually kind of think it feels a little religiony, and that gets dangerous. But we've seen it with like all the avatars essentially tell Aang, "You have to actively shape the world. You have to be actively involved in this." We see how much it destroys Korra's psyche when she is like essentially has to take a step back from helping, and how that affects everything. And I think that on you know, and we saw it with with Kir- with with Kieran how he doesn't take an active role in the world and essentially ends up losing the, the, lo- the love of his life. And I think that there's some level, there's an argument to be made here that Roku maybe doesn't take as much of an interest in the world. Like, you see it when he says, like, I spent, you know, during those 24 years, spent most of that time on my island with my family, which is great, but... I don't think it means he wasn't interested. I think... Things were going smoothly, I, and we don't know enough information to know maybe there were some disputes in the Earth between like the Earth Kingdom and the Water Nation. That we, I mean, I think it's but, more of the fact that Sozin was slowly turning himself, preparing himself for a massive world war, which requires, you know, basically creating a professional army, and that's not something you can do quickly and it's not something you can do in secret like 
You have to conscript a massive number of people into an army. You need to build factories to to to, to smith weapons. So you have you know you have a, you know surplus of weapons. I mean, now maybe he did a lot of that after Roku died, and maybe you can make that argument. But I I do think that the fact that his best friend ends up in this position, I, I think that you can really quibble with like Roku. Maybe you should you know. You couldn't have had more of an influence on your friend. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, again, maybe you can make an argument that that's not true. But I... We're, I think it's easy to talk about this in retrospect, seeing how it played out. Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, if, if Aang was in charge now, they never would have lost communications. But, like, would there have been room for diplomacy? Because Aang would not have moved on the idea Sosin had that, yeah, the Fire Nations to expand and, like, become imperialistic, and I don't think Sosin would have just given up on that if Aang even stayed in contact with him and, and kept trying to convince him of his way. I think, if anything, Sosin would have been the one that deaded Aang and was like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And yeah, but then, I also, what I'm saying is I feel like Aang wouldn't have accepted that, and Aang would have sort of forced the issue. But, there would have, but then there would have been... I'm not saying that it means things don't happen. I'm I think Sosin would have then gotten arrested or something worse. I, I think Sosin was not backing down from the I'm saying, though, I I don't disagree with you. What I'm saying, though, is I, 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 I just wonder whether – because let me put it this way. Ro, you, you know, I agree with you that Roku is very single-minded, has a very right – you know absolute right absolute wrong view of the world a you will you know he just shuts down Sozin immediately there's no like debate there's no you know maybe that's a good idea but i don't think we should conquer it's like no you will not do this we will not talk about it it's yeah so on some level that ideology doesn't particularly jive well with then letting Sozin go, not and you know essentially removing him from power, because it's essentially a either you will agree with me or you will die or you will you know it's a very black and white absolute sort of ideology, but you mm-hmm. suddenly introduce just that little bit of nuance of our former you know you are my friend therefore I will spare you you are allowed to sort of. There's really no punishment. It's just a threat. Is is it is it if you're not my friend, then you're my enemy? Or if you're not with me, you're my enemy. What I'm not not exactly. It's more the idea though that if you're gonna be that absolute, if you're gonna think of the world like that, like a Sith, just to make fun of you, <laughs> you can't you can't then turn around and not finish the job. They've been friends forever. He had one transgression against him, Sosa did, and seemingly for 25 years did nothing. What I'm saying, though, is it's not, it's not a moment of he's about to kill him and he's like, I can't do it. He makes a conscious choice to be like, in the name of our former friendship, I'm letting you go. Yes, but it was strike one, too. It's like one thing if he let him go and then five years later did it again and came back and let him go again, and then five years... Yeah, but he does say if you, you know, put one more toe out of line. 
my, my, my argument here is that if he was going to let Sozin go because of their friendship, if that friendship was going to essentially carry that much weight, and I think it should, I think friendship's really important, then you have to honor that fact in reality and make some degree of effort to reach out to this person who you who you're again you're saying his friendship means enough to you that you're not you're not going to remove him from power even though you believe that you have the right and the the need to do that that what I'm saying is that those two ideologies are clash, clash with one another and that because of that Roku doesn't do the thing that sort of geopolitically probably should have just remove Sozin from power and been done with it or the I'm going to sort of fight for the good in Sozin and I'm going to work find a way to reach him he does neither of those things stays in the I, middle uh, and I think no, that I that middle you can argue was not the right choice I completely disagree with you um, and I think a lot of what you're saying is speaking out of that we know how it ended and I think he, 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 he went out of line once. I think their friendship being from pretty much from birth and how close they were and how Roku really does think he sees what Sosin truly is, um, but 99% of the time... I'm, I'm asking you, I want to ask you a question though. Did you believe, remove what we know in hindsight, from the characters that we see, does it, does, is there even... 1% chance that Sozin was going to give up. Yeah, well, from Roku's eyes. I'm gonna Do you, I'm you think that from Roku's I'm, eyes there was a chance? Yes. I'm going to pretend I'm Roku. All right. Go Roku ahead. has known him as a good person his entire time. The first time something is wrong is at the wedding when he brings up what he said. And he was persistent. And then Roku put his foot down, and that was it. That was the one, uh-oh, here, this might be a red flag. Then nothing. To Roku. Nothing, nothing, nothing. He's doing Avatar mm -hmm. stuff. They're not really together as much. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Then the next thing he finds out is he went behind his back and got the colonies. And that's when he laid the ultimatum down. I'm letting you go because of our past, but if you step out of line again, you're being removed from power. So out of Roku's eyes, no. In his eyes, yes, he stepped out of line once. He tried to do what he thought was right. If I catch him one more time, it's over. So yes, from Roku's eyes, I think he did what but he thought was right. The reason I don't agree with that is because it's not as if Roku walks in to the palace and is like, Sozin, what are you doing? Like, you can't do this. And tries to, like, he doesn't even try to reason with him. It's immediate. He walks in He's and says, this. you will not do this. I, how dare you do this? And I am stopping you. Wait. Hold on, pause, pause. Yeah. You're right. And here's this is a difference. If Roku walked in, and instead of it already being done, he was like, I see you're militarizing. I see you're gathering your troops, and you're about to try to take these colonies. If you do it, what are you doing? Don't do it. He walked in after the fact. And that's why he was furious. I, un I understand. you blame him? I understand. I'm not, no. I'm not blaming him for being furious. I, you're... You're right. What I'm saying, though, is the fact that I don't think, I don't agree with you that Roku walked in there and said, I'm going to give him, he's my friend, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. No. He walked in there going, this guy, I am the Avatar, this guy is a threat to the world, I am going to stop him. 
but didn't go all the way. And you can say he didn't go all the way because it's his childhood friend. I'm not going to blame Roku for not being able to kill his friend. I'm not like that's all of these things are okay. What I'm saying is it is a problem from when your ideologies clash like this. When on one hand you have this person is a threat. I am not going to listen to a word that they say. I am here to stop them from doing the thing they're doing. And on the other hand, you have, this is my oldest childhood friend. No matter what he does, he's going to deserve that second chance. Those two sides are diametrically opposed to one another. And what they lead to is Roku making a choice, making neither making the absolute choice of I am just going to end him right here or making the friendship choice of this is my friend let me listen to what he has to say try to reason with him and even if I do have to step in and, and sort of force the issue I'm still going to do my best to try to reach my friend he does neither of those things Roku walked in in a fit of rage where he's like, get rid of this right now. I don't want to hear it. He never intended to fight him. While he was walking out, Sosin attacked him, and that's when he completely I, dropped his... Yeah. What, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying, though, is that I think that, Ro, that Roku is given a choice here of to either treat him as an enemy or treat him as a friend. And I don't, and I think that he chooses neither. And I think that was a mistake. I'm not saying I, that I, things would have changed if he had did done something different, but I think that on some level, the right thing to do is pick one of the two sides and not try to walk down the middle path. I think Ang can be guilty of that too sometimes. I think Cora is extremely guilty of this throughout the sort of her her adolescence, where she does not pick a you know pick a side and does not make you know sort of particularly coherent decisions, and it leads to a lot of problems. Right. All right. So now we get to the ending, and I know you want to just talk about this, so I'm going to give you the floor to talk about the the volcanic eruptions, and then I will give my thoughts. I mean, what else is really there to say that you have to see it? Like, it's the most gorgeous, I, I would argue the most gorgeous thing in Avatar. The, I think the, it's, the heat. I don't what? agree. I, I think that the final Agni Kai is slightly better, but this is really good. Maybe. I, this is about preference to me. The, the, the heat lightning, the, the ash, the explosions, the, the dragon in the distance, like... It was epic. It was like gorgeous to watch. It was intense. Watching him use the elements in, in unique ways to stop the lava was what Aang did earlier, but t- 20 times better. It was watching him slowly get weaker through attrition was great to watch. And him choking on the ash. Watching Sosin see it from a distance coming in to help. And when I watched this originally as a kid, like I thought all what was happening was because of Sosin. So, like, it was very, really interesting to see Sosin come in to help him, and then the the 
straight out of Lion King turn on him ending. Um, it was one of the best climaxes in the show, in my opinion. Everything and you also, said, I agree with. I'm not. I don't have any. It looks great. It is Roku is is is. It's incredible. It's incredible that he looks in, both incredibly powerful and totally helpless. It's a hard thing to pull off, and they 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 do that brilliantly. I want to ask a few questions, though. Question one: Why does Roku stay? And not just like the people are clearly out. So all he's doing is essentially trying to save their property. No, because it looked like if they wouldn't have made it far in the water if the volcano was erupting at the rate it was erupting. And he gave them time to escape on the boats. Okay. That's, that's, that's fair. Question two. Do you think that Sozin caused this? I, I did originally. And I don't after the fact. Okay. No. Question number three. Why does Sozin go? That's maybe... Alright. And I'm not asking... Let me be quick. I am not asking this question from a positive or... As a positive or a negative statement. I'm not saying this is bad. Explain it. I am asking you, why does Sozin go to that island? Both... What was his... As a person's... Like, personally, what was his purpose? What was he trying to do? Was he trying to kill Roku? Or was he trying to not, you know, save him and then doesn't? And two, narratively, why does Sozin go? I'm curious what your perspective. I think he originally went because... All right, so I'm I'm at a crossroads. There's two ways to look at it from my view, and I don't know which one to pick. The first one is... He saw what was happening, wanted to save his friend. While he was there, he realized that if he didn't and betrayed him, he would be able to accomplish what he always wants to accomplish. And like that, that last bitterness came up while he was helping save him. And I actually think that if you were to ask me out of the two, I'm about to name you, which I think, I think it's A, because if it was B, which is B, where he always planned to go there to make sure that he couldn't get out alive, then it doesn't make sense to help him in the beginning. He could have just betrayed him from the start. So I think he went there with the intention to save him while in middle of the process of going to help him, he realized that if he can not let him get off the island, he can accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish and that the ends justify the means. So that's what I think. I think he went there wanting to save his friend. He was in the middle of doing it and then a flash of, wait a minute, if he doesn't make it out here alive, I can do what I set out to do and make the world a better place. That's what I think. Okay, I, I've i never particularly understood this one. I, I, I'm just a little bit confused as to what's actually going on here because for one thing, it's one of those weird, narratively, does it actually matter whether Sozin went? If Sozin doesn't go, does Roku still just die? And does everything still just happen the way it does? One, two, I agree with you that my, my first thought was always Sozin did this on purpose. Like, Sozin did this. One, we don't really see a mechanism 
for how Sozin could have ignited a volcanic eruption. That's not really in his power as Fire Lord to just, like, do. On top of that, I agree with you that it seems like Sozin is genuinely trying to help him. And it is sort of wants to save his friend and is is therefore gonna going to do that. My question though is Sozin decides I agree that he like he sees alright, if if Roku dies and there's no there's we don't have a fully realized avatar anymore, I am essentially free to do whatever I want. That being said couldn't you also make the argument that he saw how feeble Roku was by the end of it and that leaving a feeble avatar might have been even more valuable to his plans? What do you mean by feeble? He, You mean during the volcano eruption? Remember, it's not that Ro- Sozin kills him. It's that Ro- Sozin just fails to save him. Yeah. And? I'm... It. I'm just saying it's a little weird that Sozin makes the decision... Like, I agree with you that the decision Sozin makes is my plans will be easier if there is no Roku. That if we, if we get rid of Roku... If, I, if Roku's gone, then I can be unchallenged and I can just... You know, I can invade the world, essentially. It's a little weird that the moment that he makes that decision is not, I have this moment, if the Avatar is vulnerable, I can kill him right now. It's essentially, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to let the Avatar die because he's so weak now he can't even defend himself. I, I think it was... A flash decision made um, in the moment, and like I also think, to like in the end, like Roku in his state was still like I mean he ends up dying through the the, the, the toxic air, but I, I think he had full intention to save him, and then almost another Star Wars comparison, but like how Anakin left, like. Uh, I'm sorry, Obi-Wan left Anakin on Mustafar. He's just like, he's just going to die on his own. And funny, Sosin happened to be right. So, No, no, I, I disagree with that. I, I, I think... I think Sosin does... Sosin, I think... I, he doesn't exactly commit murder, but I think Sosin is clearly like... Net, like clearly is doing this because he is trying to have Roku die. I think that Obi-Wan is just like, well, Anakin's probably going to die, but I'm not going to be the one to kill him. No, I don't think Obi-Wan uh, in the mind. I'm not getting into an episode three debate right now. That's, we've already talked about Game of Thrones. Let's not, let's not go there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, this is just something I've always been confused about this. I, I've always found it just a little odd. I, I, not bad, just confusing yeah i think it's a little bit more cut and dry i think it's in the, the way the show writers 
intended for it to happen or for it to be viewed. He saw what was happening from a, a distance, went to go save his friend, and then came to the conclusion, wait, mm -hmm. if I don't save him, I could finally do what I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get to the ending and what I think of as really the best gut punch in the show and my favorite line read in the show from Ira. And there's something, and you said it, and you mentioned this before, and, and it's something that I've always found just brilliant about this is that Iro has not spoken in book three. He has not said a single word since the finale of book two. And while we don't know exactly how long it's been, it's definitely been a little while. And the way his voice sounds, it sounds like a person who has not spoke in months. We, you know, at least weeks, if not months. Like, there's a, a, a strained quality to his voice. Like, we've been so accustomed to not hearing Iroh. And when you just like he finally opens his mouth and the and then the first thing that he says when it's just no he wasn't and like three words that essentially change everything about Zuko's life like it's just man is it amazing yeah <laughs> you already know what I'm, I would say yeah. about like this is is in a weird, as, as important as this whole thing is, like I, I'm almost like kind of at a loss for what to say about it because it's like. And like, I also want to add on to that. I feel like like going to modern TV shows and like the way writers do things nowadays. If they were to like to have the patience, writers, I mean, to do something like this where they have like a important character like Iroh not speak, I feel like they would like. Oh, he has to have like a single word be the first thing he says, like. Like, you know, like, maybe, like, I, I feel like he went to a full sentence, Iroh, like, as you just said. I feel like writers nowadays would be like, what's the first word he says? Like, well, it's not like, a, you know what it, well, I, what I would say is, I feel like it would be a me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Something easily digestible. I'm like, wow, wow, I can't believe he, that was his first, it's so cool. Like, well, like it's, it's, way. to go back there, it's kind of how much, how much Game of Thrones turned into just easily rememberable li like how many lines in, in, in the last season were like callbacks to previous lines where it's like oh Arya said sticking with the pointy end again like that's you know I remember that one like I agree that there, it's yeah it is it is it is done with incredible respect for the character and feels very natural for what's going on here but I also yeah. on, on top of that though I love the sort of the way that that Iroh says it in as well, in that it's not like he looks at Zuko and is like, You're look, I need to tell you something. Here's this secret you haven't known forever. It's there's a, a, a confidence to what he's saying, like a like a degree of, of sort of you were missing the entire point from the beginning. Where like the the, the fact he says, like, no, he wasn't, isn't Yes, he's essentially saying, Zuko, you're completely wrong about this, but there's, I don't know, there's just something about the way he said it that's almost like, he says it in a way that's obvious, and it should be obvious, but it 
clearly isn't us and it clearly isn't Tezuko. And I think there's right. something really like important and powerful about that. Right. Um, so let me... Yes, let's. This is just going to become the Game of Thrones episode because it is. Well, I want to ask you to compare this to R plus L equals J. To what? To R plus L equals J. Uh, okay. As a major reveal as to the parentage of somebody. Okay. I'm wondering what, what, how, where do you think this ranks in comparison to, to the to the reveals of John's parentage? John's parentage was like guessed by the fans long before the reveal was made official, and I think it left less of a sting. And I think this twist was a lot of a bigger twist. I don't think any fan would have guessed that, that Roku was, you know, his grandpa or great-grandpa. Well. I, I, I personally, I No, think... you're right. I guess the, the, the only thing I was going to say is, I, it, could you have placed the Fire Nation headband thing? Probably not. So, no. I, I, let's, so, yeah. You're right. No, I agree. This, this, is, this is a twist... The R plus L equals J was a twist that everyone knew, so stop being a twist. I agree with you. And this episode coddled the entire twist. Like, this episode was for this moment. Well, yeah, but so was the entire Tower of Joy scene. Sure. It's another... I mean, these are actually very similar episodes. Like... That whole, like, the, all the Tower of Joy stuff is, like, Bran, like, having these, like, recollections, having these memories, um, and seeing, like, seeing this stuff. Yeah. So, they're both done very well. I, I um, still, I, I would argue that this is done better. Yeah, I guess knowing where it ends up, but I, it's I It's not think... just the knowing where it ends up. I think that fundamentally i think that iroh being the one to tell zuko and in the way that he tells him because i'm essentially in reality the comparison is not to the the flashbacks the comparison is to sam telling john in in season eight yes that's why it's hard to compare to me i think this is significantly better because and to me, the, the the reason is, the way Sam says it is at the end of a conversation in which he kind of it's it's treated as, he is treating it as a reveal and treating it as a like I have to tell you this thing. Iroh, there, there's a certain quality to the writing and a quality to the way he says it that has so much more confidence and therefore makes it I think makes it more powerful I think when you add in in Game of Thrones how Sam did it you're right this is a lot better but the actual episode where the twist was revealed well because no because I'm, you're right but that's that's the twist being revealed to the audience not the twist being revealed 
to the character. Now, you can also say that not only did we know because of fan theories, we actually 100% knew before John did, which is right. which maybe changes the outlook of this. Maybe if we knew this truth before Zuko did, it would change how I feel about this. But yep. at the same time, I'm not entirely sure I agree because I just watched the episode and I knew 100% that the answer, I'm seeing it a second time, and I still feel more powerful towards the Zyro one. Because my point being is, I, I, the reason I think this is better, I think this is what it is. I think that in Avatar, it wor- this situation works both as a reveal and as a really strong character moment. While in Game of Thrones, it really only worked as a reveal. Yes, but it's, again, that if you were to change Game of Thrones to make it more of a direct, you would have had the episode of the flashback where it's revealed to the audience and John being revealed intertwined. Like Sam's telling the story and then ends it with that in the yeah. same exact episode. Maybe, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you change it, it could have been different. But right. I don't so know. I, I don't think it's an apt comparison. Mm. And then we we wrap it up. And once again, how can you not get a little emotional with, with Toph's question about friendship lasting lifetimes? And, you know, just... Did I you love... read my ending? Did what? you read my notes? Did you read my notes at the end? Let me, I, I didn't actually see what you said. Oh, fuck you. Not even digging. <laughs> I'm not mentioning that. Um, no, I, it, it just... There, there's, there's something really raw emotional. I think it's... I think it's fitting very much that it's Toph who's the one who grew up, essentially grew up without friends and who has forged forged a family through her friendships that's sort of thinking through the the idea of of thinking of uh, friendships lasting lifetimes. And of course, then that connecting to the fact that, yes, she will be friends with with Aang in in, in his second life in, in Korra is really powerful. I want to finally, we can have this stupid argument. You have the floor. You can talk about whatever you want. About what? The thing we're supposed to argue about. The thing that I'm essentially just saying where, you know, Toph gets to be friends with Aang in, a, in, his, or Aang in his next life, even though you quibble, you oh, are yeah. that. Right. So, so lay I out your case, and I will explain why you're wrong as per usual. This episode, and this is obviously Korra spoilers, but this episode makes me triple down on my dissatisfaction with the way Korra ended, where the Avatar... It is not died. how Korra ended, it is how book two ended, but keep sure. going. The way book two ended with the entire Avatar line disbanding. You couldn't have episodes like this post Korra. And yes, I, you can. I know. No, I know you can. Why not? Uh, like everything you've seen with Roku and how he directly communicates with Aang, and then you're right. This message of how everything can go through between lifetimes. I, it's just ruined through Korra and the fact that the Avatar chain was completely destroyed i just i don't know would, i don't feel but it's it. but again it started new but you know you start new and then core is your, your your starting chain you're not gonna unless the next avatar series i'm not saying there's gonna be one jumped ahead another 500 1000 years 
it, it's irrelevant. It's because, you, you, okay, you have Korra as the only one. And, and again, I hate to go back to Star Wars comparisons. That would be, and I, that would be as if you made it so all Jedi ghosts don't exist anymore. And there's no, like, Obi-Wan ghost, no Yoda ghost, none of that. Well, it it like... fundamentally breaks Star Wars in a way. Well, but here, but here's the here's my my problem with everything you just said. The entirety of this episode is Roku. Uh huh. That still exists. The next Avatar will still get to talk to Korra. But the way, what you mean? You mean? Oh yeah. The but the way. Oh, I see what you're saying because it's one. The only the this the only thing that is stopped from breaking of the chain the only scenes that essentially ang can't have are that moment kiyoshi comes back in avatar day which i mean kiyoshi's awesome and that's an amazing flashback but like who cares and in the finale ang talking to kieran and yang chen would you have loved the ability for Korra to be able to communicate with avatar kiyoshi i well, all right. So I want to ask a question about this because this this ties into like one of my favorite sort of lines in liter anything in media is in the end of Harry Potter when Harry is talking to Dumbledore and you have the the, the famous line of is all of this real or is it all happening inside my head? And Dumbledore says, of course it's happening inside your head, but what me what makes that you think that it's not real? And I think that right there is my point that in the end, all of this is happening inside Aang's head. Functionally, yes. Would it have been cool to see Korra talking to Kiyoshi? Yeah, I guess. But she doesn't, and the story is fine. And I, I, I know, I, and I'm, I'm talking future, like possibilities. I'm not talking about what we saw, in but how the last season ended with it. You're not talking. Happening. I understand you're talking future possibilities. But what I'm saying is, you're making an argument that essentially boils down to, you want a future avatar to get to, to have moments with the past avatars of old Aang, Roku, Kiyoshi, Kieran, Yang Chen, Wan the ones we've seen well while that might fine my problem or my pushback against that is there was 10,000 years of history there are thousands or at least hundreds of avatars. Yes. That we have never even thought about. Exactly, and I'm, I'm so glad you just brought that up. Let me just pause you right there. Continue. That's what I'm talking about with the, the killing, the possibilities in the future of storytelling. Because in a future avatar series, or in Korra, let's pretend Korra you on, and they didn't do this, you could have introduced a brand new avatar. That's not Kyoshi, that's not Roku, that's in the middle of blank in any single and give them any character you want, give them their own backstory and their own story and how it affects Korra in a way and they just can't do that anymore. And that bothers me. 
I don't. It's so much lore that you're killing by doing that. I don't that. think you're killing anything. I think several things. Number one, I don't actually think that the like, if you actually wanted to do it, like if you figured out this amazing story, there is absolutely no reason you couldn't like undo this and have get back the chain, like. Aang actually breaks the chain in several of the comics and then is able to restore it. One. I would, I would like that. <laughs> I would love them to recon that. Two. Yes, the future, you know, the, 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 the Avatar right after Korra and, you know, maybe the one right after that, there's going to be some issues here. But within, like, four generations... You're gonna now have a pretty decent backlog of avatars. But that's my but. But I don't think about me. Avatar clearly time is they're in the they're in the twenties already in Korra. So how many generations are you gonna jump ahead where you're just not in the, like the future? So and you're I'm assuming time's gonna and but technology's. Gonna, are you telling me that 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 time ends in 2019? No, 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 no. Time is over. No, of course not. And I'm I want to remind you that originally Avatar was supposed to be set in the future. And, but, you know, that's my point, though. You and I, I think you agree with me, too. Korra is hurt a little bit by the technology mm. there. Did you say that? I remember we were talking about I have about said it. that it is jarring, and initially I had problems with it in book one. I have come around, and I no longer care. But I then jump ahead another 20 years, where now, well, now I'm assuming Korra's the 20s, right? Is that safe to say? More or less. 30s? All right, so 50s, and then jump ahead again, 70s, where you have, you know, call. I feel like Avatar gets hurt the more technology evolves. And again, that's just only experiencing it through Korra. That's... Right? If, if it continued forward, writers can make it work, for sure. But so, I just... But, 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 so what you're, but the problem now is what you're saying is, more or less, moving into the future... This Avatar universe is not as interesting as yeah. the past. As to I know it now, and I never... yeah, it's fine. But that's fine, and I don't disagree with you. I think I don't know if Avatar. If I don't know if I'd like to see Avatar in the modern world, in the world no. of today, yeah, with the internet. I agree. On no, in no way does this whole severing of the chain affect that. In fact, on some level, it actually makes it stronger in that the ancient world, and it's really not ancient because it ends, you know, I guess with Aang in the 1860s, but the sort of ancient world is its own thing, its own thing that exists. We could go back and tell any story we wanted with a previous avatar. You talk about killing the lore. Killing the lore would be like if Korra time-traveled and literally destroyed all avatars and there was no way to go back to this or made it so that the chain never existed in the first place. Everything that you want is still completely possible. Both in a, if you want to tell a story in the past, you can tell a story in the past. And if you want future avatars to have moments like this episode still totally possible the chain has started anew 
all that is all that you have prevented is the very specific thing of Korra talking to Kiyoshi, essentially. That's the only fundamental like thing that you're going, there will never be a Korra comic that's Korra running into a situation and going, I should talk to Kiyoshi for some help. She would know what to, what to do. Your point was that you kind of fix the problem in the future if you're about two to three the four generations ahead of Korra. And then that's what brought me to say that the farther in the future you get in Avatar, I think the worse off the show is. Because within four generations of Korra, you're... But, I don't, but you just said, you just think the next generation of Korra is already a problem. If by yeah, the time you get to the I, 70s, it's a problem. So, but I, that's whatever. It doesn't... But you could, you could make some nuclear bomb goes off and technology gets wiped away moving forward. Like, sure. it's a fantasy story that time does not need to move at the exact same rate that it does in our world. What I'm saying is the what you're quibbling with, what you're getting upset about of breaking the chain, only does one thing. Makes it so that Korra cannot talk to Aang, Kiyoshi, Roku. The or characters anyone. you know. Every avatar after Korra will get to talk to Korra. Yeah, but I, I don't. I, 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 if, if, and we're talking like, out of our asses because there's no hint that they're going to do another avatar series that's past Korra. But if they were, my issue is I don't want the next avatar. What would the next avatar be? An Earthbender? Earthbender. The next Earthbending avatar to only have Korra be the way that he spiritually evolves as an avatar. Because Korra is not the best person to talk to anyway. Well, remember, this is Korra after she has died and therefore is yeah, had a life, wise. lived a life. But again, it's not like Aang's primary mentor was an airbender. It's Roku, who is very different from Aang and who, as I've said in the episode, like really doesn't know a lot of the things Aang has to deal with. Roku stayed out of a lot of the big geopolitical questions of the day. Aang is right in the thick of it. So, yes, you're right that the, the, the Avatar directly after Korra, in theory, is in some level screwed. Not screwed, but did get screwed out of something that they, they, they could have had. But... You really don't have to get that far into the future to a point where Aang only talks to four avatars. It's not like Aang talks to hundreds of avatars. Like, if Aang was always chatting with a new avatar all the time, then I would totally agree with you. And I'd say, shit, Avatar doesn't get to do that anymore. They just literally don't have the ability to talk to, you know, their past lives. But... We see it within Aang that he almost only talks to the Avatar right before him. And every once in a while, the Avatar's, you know, one and two generations above that. So within four generations, every single thing that, Kor that Aang and Korra do, I guess other than talk to Wan, is totally possible. So... Uh -huh. I think that it's, I think that this, 
the anger at the, the breaking of the chain has a lot more to do with people who are just upset with the, with the fact that Korra changed things. And that it's, an, it's a relatively easy way to say, oh, Korra changed this really important thing about the universe. But I think that it's actually a significantly smaller change than you realize. Uh, I don't know. I, I view the Avatar chain as a means to tell any form of history and story from the eyes of the, probably one of the most important people of that world at any time. So I would have loved to see an Earthbender, maybe not talk to Roku or Kyoshi, but a random avatar that we've never met before that you can expand the world in a different part that gives you more lore and history but behind it. if you it. wanted to do that, you could still do that. You just wouldn't do it in the future. you just do it in the past. Sure, but I'm talking about the future. I'm talking about the next avatar after Korra. And I, and I, I equate it to, again, the Star Wars, where I think one of the most important parts of Star Wars are Jedi ghosts and Sith ghosts. I don't understand and why that you even remotely think that. I don't think... It's a lot, it's a lot more important than the Old Republic universe. That's, that's true, but you're... That, that's true, but it's not that Force ghosts don't exist anymore. It's just that certain Force ghosts cannot be accessed anymore. And that's the it, point. It would be as if, if you go into the, the sequels, Rey made it so all Jedi's you can't communicate with all Jedi. I mean, so what, goes, everything that Ryan Johnson did in his movie. Well, even though every Force ghost was there at the end of his movie, like Yoda, uh, I'm assuming, well, Luke is obviously still around. <laughs> I'm making fun of you. All right, well, we're like an hour and a half, or almost an hour and 40 minutes in, and I'm dehydrated, so we're going we're gonna to wrap this one up. But uh, let's get into, you know, just I, I just, I know a lot of people are upset about this, it's something that's never bothered me, and I just wanted to sort of put out my case of why I don't think it's a particularly big deal that Korra, um, quote-unquote, destroyed the lore. All right. With that, let's get to our final thoughts and our rating. Corey, kick us off. Phenomenal episode. One of my favorites of book three. The Iroh speaking for the first time was handled perfectly. The double way you learn about the past triple way even. I would even name Azula as another method of hearing the history. And as you said too, Azula doesn't talk with any falsehoods in what she says. She's very right about what she's saying from a certain point of view. It was just brilliant. And you and I said it too. Like Exposition is tricky sometimes, but Avatar nailed it perfectly. The volcano scene is one of the most gorgeous shots in any animated thing, period. I love Roku. He's my favorite Avatar. Um... I love almost everything about this episode, and I would actually have given it a 10 out of 10, but the fart scene, I swear to God, takes out 0.2 points. I'm bringing it down to a 9.8 out of 10. Yep, I'm about in a very similar place. I'm going to give this a 9.7 out of 10. I was very close to either giving it a 10 or a 9.9, but... There's something holding me back. I think you're right that the, the fart joke is is pretty egregious and, and like I don't want to dock it a lot of points, but I, I, I do have to. And I, I think that I, I've said from the beginning that if, I, if I'm going to give an episode a 10, I'm giving it a 10 because 
it is like as perf- it's perfect as perfect can be, and it's one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. This episode is just it, it's so close, but it, it maybe not. I, I don't I don't have that feeling after I had with with episodes like Siege of the North Part Two or um, Cora Alone, where I'm just like everything. It was a masterpiece. This is as clo- I got as close as you can get to that. And again, it's weird that I'm like, wow, it's not quite as good. It's a nine point seven. This is absolute peak peak television this episode is as i said i am going to say this is the most important episode of avatar i think this episode more than any other one is in completely necessary in order to make this story work for both ang and zuko um it it, it reminds me of the storm but i actually think it, it it ends up hitting harder in this episode with with everything that happens and the iroh line read there is just so brilliant that um, you know, it's just, it's incredible. So yeah, as about as, about as good as you can get. Thank you guys, uh, for tuning in. Thank you to Corey for being here. We will of course be back, uh, next week as we rapidly move into our little mid season, uh, movie. We're quite close to the day of black sun. Um, although we have a couple of, uh, interesting to say the least episodes coming up. So get ready for that and we'll be back soon.